So when you take a long-term drought due to climate change, mostly due to climate change, not all of it, and then you take a short-term drought, most of it due to natural variations, and you put them on top of each other, you end up with fire conditions like we have in California. Six of the seven worst fires in California history have happened this year. Six of the seven. And three of the four worst wildfires in Colorado history have happened this year. And that's not coincidence, right? That's climate change. Uh, so hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to City Atlas TNCast today. My name is Gabriel Gitterdens, and I'm a senior at Hunter College High School from Manhattan. My name is Adam Rudd. I'm also a senior at Hunter College High School, and I'm also from Manhattan. My name is Kevin. I'm also a senior at Hunter College High School, and I'm from Queens. So welcome back to another episode of our podcast. Uh, normally, high school students talk about climate briefly in their science classes. Maybe they talk about it at the high school lunch table. Uh, but we go through our careers without really thinking about or talking about one of the greatest issues or the most pressing issues of today, that is climate change. Our aim in producing this podcast is to promote conversation about climate change among family and friends, specifically between young people who are the future of climate action. So on today's episode, we welcome meteorologist Jeff Paradelli. Can you introduce yourself, Jeff? Sure, yes. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, glad I can be here. Uh, yep, I'm meteorologist Jeff Paradelli. I'm a climate specialist as well for CBS News here in New York City. And um, glad to be here because I love talking about climate change. Great. So, yeah, yeah, we're, we're so happy to have you. Um, you know, you have a pretty, pretty cool story um, that I think Put, gives a good perspective on what we're, we're trying to do, which is sort of teach typical normal high school students um, about climate change, just like you are trying to teach, you know, typical normal viewers of, of the weather on TV about climate change. So in today's episode, we're just going to be talking about um, Jeff's weather reporting and also the presence of climate change in weather reporting just in general. What got you into um, just becoming a meteorologist, you know, how, how does that work? How does that happen? Yeah, so I've wanted to be a meteorologist since I'm three years old. Oh, I've wow. always loved the weather, ever since I can remember, actually. Um, I think I was just really intrigued by snow and thunderstorms, and I think there are a lot of kids who are interested in, in weather. And I was so passionate about it that I wanted to be kind of a teacher. I thought it would be great for me to teach about weather and you know, try to, try to make everybody passionate about what I was passionate about. And it kind of turned into, you know, thinking, well, how can I reach the largest audience I can and teach the weather? And it was by uh, doing television. It became apparent when I was a very young kid. And, uh, and I use the same medium now um, to teach climate change. So I, I don't think of myself necessarily as a, as, as a weatherman or a meteorologist. I think of myself as a as a teacher, but a teacher of mass audiences. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you have, but, but you, you also have this, um, degree, right? So, so, so most meteorologists are, are coming to the table with, with knowledge about, about the weather. It, it doesn't necessarily include knowledge about, about climate change and, and global warming. So, so you have a degree from Columbia in climate science. Right. So my bachelor's degree, uh, from Cornell university, graduated back in 97, is an atmospheric sciences degree. And then my Columbia University degree is a recent degree. Went back to, uh, to school in the middle of my life, um, got my degree in climate and society. It's a master's degree. 
And so, yes, I am trained in climate change. However, I will say that most meteorologists, um, just with an atmospheric sciences degree, it's, it's a very small step for them to truly understand what's going on with the climate. You don't need to get an extra degree. Uh-huh. But the reason why I got it is because climate change is not just science, right? It's a lot about the way it affects society, the way people think about it, sociology, it's psychology, it's policy, it's law, it's, it's so many different things. Is that, is that what they taught? Is that they, they taught you that interdisciplinary kind of dynamic when you were getting your master's degree? Exactly. Yeah. So it's, okay. it's climate and society. So it's very interdisciplinary. Um, you take some science, but it's actually an MA, not an MS. And that's what I need as a broadcaster, because I need to be able to understand every single aspect of climate change, because I report on all different aspects of climate change, not just on the science of climate change. Okay. So just transitioning into your, to your actual work, like reporting the weather, what, what stories that you've reported maybe within like recent stories within the past year, um, where you've been able to, you know, bring connections to climate change, which of those stories have really shocked you or which did you take a lot of interest in? You know, I did a story about the Dust Bowl in the 1930s, which I found really intriguing because usually the stories I find most interesting are the ones that have some science in them. And the Dust Bowl was the hottest period on record in the United States. Um, And, you know, if you look up information about the Dust Bowl, you'll find that it was actually man-made, most of it. Now, there was a a drought. Um, Certain atmospheric patterns lined up so that it was exceptionally dry in the middle of the country. But the biggest reason why the Dust Bowl was so bad, the hottest still to this day, even with climate change, the hottest decade in United States history was in the 1930s. So think about that. We've seen everyone's temperature rising, but a lot of the records that were broken were broken in the 1930s. In fact, about 50% still have not been broken. Now, the reason for it is farming practices. We had mowed down in the 1930s and the 1920s, all of the land in the Plain States. And so the land was completely transformed just by doing that, exposing all the dirt, getting rid of all the plants that transpire water vapor back into the atmosphere. You know, there was nothing, when, when this drought hit, this natural drought, you know, uh, due to natural cycles, the, the land had no way of retaining any moisture. And when there's no moisture, temperatures get hotter. It's like the desert. So, you know, in the desert, the reason why it gets an extra 10, 20 degrees warmer than it does outside of a desert is because there's no moisture. And so because there's no moisture, the atmosphere temperature can go up extra. So man, believe it or not, caused the 1930s to be that hot. And there was a study that was done showing that climate change is now doubling or tripling the probability of another Dust Bowl type heat wave in the middle of the country. So I found that really intriguing. Do we think that that this is really is this related to, to the California wildfires in any way? Like the kind of drought that creates or, or could have contributed to the wildfires? Um, there is a long-term drought going on uh, along the West Coast in, in, in the Western United States. It's actually called a mega drought. Okay. Uh, it's got an, they, they've, named, they've named it a mega drought. It's been going on since 2000. 
Um, Park Williams, who is a researcher at Columbia University here in New York City, um, did some research and found that mega droughts uh, have happened about six times since about the year 800. So over the past 1200 years. And this one is the second worst so far. And it's only the beginning of this. We're on track for the second worst mega drought in the last 1200 years. Um, so there is a drought, a long-term drought going on. In addition to that, uh, we have a short-term drought this year, um, which is due to, you know, to some degree due to natural patterns too. So when you take a long-term drought due to climate change, mostly due to climate change, not all of it, and then you take a short-term drought, most of it due to natural variations, and you put them on top of each other, you end up with fire conditions like we have in California. Six of the seven worst fires in California history have happened this year. Six of the seven. And three of the four worst wildfires in Colorado history have happened this year. And that's not coincidence, right? That's climate change. Mm -hmm. So are there any ways we can alleviate the mega drought, like um, both short-term and long-term? That's not going to happen until at least 2050 or 2060. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll start to decrease our usage now um, and in the next five or 10 years, but we're not going to totally get off our reliance until at least the middle of the century, and that's the earliest. So even if we reduce the amount of emissions, we're still increasing the concentrations of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And as long as we continue to do that, uh, we retain more and more heat in the atmosphere. So air temperatures are going to go up um, at least another probably three quarters of a degree to a degree at the, at the least. So that gets us to about two degrees Celsius of warming, which is the Paris Accord target. The other Paris Accord target is 1.5 degrees Celsius. And that seems very unlikely that we're going to reach that. Uh, but if we stay and we keep doing what we're doing today, we're looking at probably two and a half to three degrees Celsius of warming. This is in Celsius, by the way, not, not in Fahrenheit. Uh, you can almost double those numbers for Fahrenheit. So do you get this information from articles that you read, or do you also talk to groups of scientists? I'm doing both. Like, for instance, I just quoted you numbers of, of approximately how much more we're going to warm and how long it's going to take to decrease our dependence on, on fossil fuels. Well, I was on a conference call this morning with uh, Bloomberg New Energy Finance, and they're a company that, that projects renewable energy trends out into the future. So I know what their predictions are. Now, their predictions may be wrong, but it's a general consensus of many things. So, so what do I do? Yes, I read papers. Do I talk to scientists? Absolutely. Do I sit in on these group discussions like I did this morning? Yep. It's all these things. It's, it's reading every day. I read, you know, a good 10 to 15 articles a day or, you know, and, and, or, or I should say between the articles and the scientific studies that I read, maybe 10 or 15 a day. And uh, not the whole paper, by the way, unless I, unless I really want to get into it because to read a scientific paper can take hours. They're, yeah. they're really technical. Um, but, and I do sometimes, but only when I'm doing a story on it and I really need to get into the nitty gritty. Uh, so, so it's just staying up with current events. I mean, I can't possibly know everything, right? I, but the best thing to do is just, you know, if you're really interested in it, you got to be on the cutting edge of it. So, you know, every day I get stuff in my inbox. Every day I check Twitter. Um, I don't know what you guys are using these days, but I'm still using Twitter. <laughs> so, uh, so that's, that's how I keep up and up to date on stuff. Um, so, yeah, we know that, like, as you just said, you, um, 
like put a lot of effort into understanding this. So would you say it's popular among um, meteorologists or weather reporters? Or do you, do you know of a lot of other, maybe of your colleagues who also invest a lot of time in this? Or is there some kind of coalition of meteorologists that like take the time to include this in their reporting? Um, yeah, so it's increasing. There's no, I'd say, formal coalition. There, that doesn't really exist. Climate Central is a um, nonprofit organization that uh, helps meteorologists to have the resources they need to report on climate change. Um, they are instrumental in getting many meteorologists involved. In fact, right now they have a, um, you know, I'd say about 800 meteorologists or so across the country who participate in their program. Um, and, you know, increasingly over the past several years, we've seen a lot more meteorologists jump on board and become really interested. For instance, in a couple of weeks from now, I'm doing a podcast for the NBC station in Boston, who has decided to do a lot of climate change, um, you know, climate change reporting. And we're seeing that happen at different stations all over the United States, and different meteorologists are really taking an interest. They realize that not only is this important information to get out to the public, but it's also information that their viewers want. And so economically, you know, to keep their viewers happy and to improve their business model, they are offering climate change information too. So yes, it's, it's growing. Um, a lot more people than we used to have doing it. And I think that will only increase in the future. That's great. And, and when you decide to, to include climate change or yeah, yeah climate change into your reporting is that a decision that you just make autonomously or do you have to do you have to go to someone or at cbs to check if it's okay if you talk like what you talk about well first of all my job is is meteorologist and climate specialist so ah. my job is to is to do climate change um but i can't do stories unless i have superiors approve them but that's the case with you know with with any out, news outlet anywhere on any story you have to get your executive producer your editor if you do if it's if it's written for a com it needs to be your editor if it's a a story for tv it needs to be approved by an executive producer so yeah i have to pitch stories and hope that they they like them and sometimes they say no sometimes they say yes and it's usually not a, a question of well we don't want you to cover this story because it's too controversial that's not why i would they would say no to me They'd say no just because they don't think it's a good enough story. It's going to interest enough people. Stay tuned for the second part of our interview with Jeff Baradelli. And thank you for listening to City Atlas Teamcast today.